Welcome back to the Peaked Too Early podcast. I am your host, the Southampton Football Club of podcast hosts and uh, match day predictions, Blake Munchell. And I am, as always, joined by my lovely co-host, Oscar Saywell. Oscar, hello, hello. I know you had a busy weekend. I did. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. I'm, I am busy, um, a little bit tired, but I'm really looking forward to the podcast. And, um, you know, Blake, I'm sort of, I hear on the grapevine that I might have done really well in the predictions for last time out. Is that, is that correct? Yes. For the folks keeping track at home, uh, you will be well aware that I had a plus three lead and very much rubbed it in Oscar's face, uh, only to have a complete nightmare, uh, over the last, what, 12 match predictions, uh, which saw Oscar gain 11 points uh, through four absolute correct predictions where he got double points because he also guessed the exact score, not just who would win. Um, Unbelievable. He accurately predicted Man City 3, Everton 1, Burnley-Fulham drawing 1 each, Burnley West Brom drawing zero each and Fulham beating Sheffield United 1-0. So totally calamitous for me. He ended the week plus 11. I finished plus five, which is a plus six difference, which Mm -hmm. swings the plus three differential in Oscar's favor. I am very smug at this moment in time, and I just hope I can keep up the winning streak. Yeah, joke's on you when uh, I get 11 points this next week. That's true. That is true. You never know. I mean, our predictions are as crazy as this current Premier League season. So, Yeah, there was a time when we were talking about uh, Tottenham winning the league. Yep. Can Southampton keep European spots up? Yeah, uh, it's all gone to... All different sort of things. Yeah, it's great. It's Will great. Arsenal get relegated? Yeah. Yeah, so many was... things we've talked about. This podcast is just a, a physical collection of bad takes by us. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that's what... Which is part of the reason about. we made... Yeah. Exactly. This, oh, exactly. totally. Every podcast I know is like uh, at the drop of a hair switching their opinion on oh, yeah. who's going to win the league, who's going to no get one, No one knows relegated. anything about football. No one knows anything about football, apart from footballers themselves. And even then, it's like probably not. Yeah, no. So, Oscar Saywell, do where do you want to start? Um, let's start with the Merseyside derby. Good choice. Okay. I watched this full thing. Did you? Uh, I unfortunately did not. I watched very little football this weekend. Um, I think I only managed to catch West Ham, Tottenham in full, and Man U, Newcastle in full. I very much went down back to the basics this Ouch. weekend. I know. Yeah. Um. Real quickly, talking about... uh, Actually, I guess I'll save it for when we start talking about Newcastle. Okay. Um, But, so I did watch the full match for Liverpool-Everton, which I sort of regret. Uh, Mm. I have found Liverpool recently being very boring to watch. Yeah, hard Um, to watch, yeah. Yeah. it's, It's like watching... I don't know, like a 16-year-old learn how to drive in like their dad's Ferrari. So, and they're like, yeah, bumping the curbs and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, okay, so a fun little uh, 
a story about me. A few years ago, I saw my sister pull out of our garage and she hit the side of the garage as she was pulling out and it essentially like snapped off the bumper uh, and like shattered it into a hundred pieces. That is what watching Liverpool right now is like. Um, That's a great analogy. Yeah. I have a great picture of like a selfie of myself in front of just an absolutely ruined (laughs) bumper. And she was going like two miles an hour, but okay. So this match uh, started with a very early goal, um, which is kind of the last thing that Liverpool needed. Like, yeah. Of course, you never want to concede, but when you're in a bad run of form and you sort of need to win this game, the last thing you want is to get embarrassed uh, right away. Um, and last week we talked about how some of the blame on Kabak was a little bit unfair. Uh, not really on this one. Nope. This he gets absolutely spun around um, yeah. twice, gets spun around once one way, and then tries to go back the other way. Um, it was so easy for Everton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like you can't even go, like, it was like a nicely weighted pass and a nice finish, but like very expected of a good attacking midfielder to make that pass and a good finisher to finish that chance. Um, hmm. Just uh way 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 too easy and i thought this was going to be like a bloodbath um for liverpool um but uh the first real trend i noticed in this match was uh jordan pickford playing like the keeper everton actually bought from yeah yeah he was really good uh unreal i think it was a jordan henderson half volley uh that the commentators did not react at all to. But that's going in, and Jordan Pickford had like this beautiful fingertip uh, save to push it around the bar. Um, right. And then it started out as badly as you can, conceding early, and then uh, Liverpool suffered another injury with Jordan Henderson pulling his hamstring, uh, right. which I, I believe is confirmed. I think um, it is, yeah. I'm not, I think it is. I'm not totally sure. Um, then Everton later on had a chance to go 2 0 up, um, and it was like whipped into uh, Seamus Coleman, uh, and Seamus Coleman put a strong header right at Allison. Um, right. Commentators were talking about a great save by Allison, but like I don't even think he really reacted. I think it just hit him. Um, but uh, something I noticed and something I wanted to talk to you about uh, okay. was there was horrendous defending on this play uh, on Seamus Coleman by Andy Robertson, um, who, oh, yeah. uh, according to football reference, uh, you know, he's a below average defender and mm-hmm. the second best attacking wingback. Trent Alexander Arnold is by far the best attacking wingback in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And also one of the worst. I think he's bottom three in terms of defensive statistics. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is what I wanted to talk to you about Liverpool. Uh, they have two wingbacks who can't defend, and they have massive injury problems in the middle. So why does Klopp try to continue to play this 4-3-3 with two center backs 
two wingbacks who are very attacking when they don't have any central defenders who can defend. Mm. Um, Joe Gomez is not that great. Joel Matip, good squad player, not great, not Liverpool quality. Kabak doesn't seem ready yet. Fabinho and Henderson, central midfielders, by converting them to central defenders, you're sort of, one, limiting what they can do, and two, taking away all their best qualities in the center of the midfield. And then Uh you've got like Nat Phillips and your boy, uh, who I can't remember his name. Um, So, one, why does Klopp try to continue this same tactic, the 4-3-3 with crossing attacking wingbacks um, if it's not working? And do you think he's going to change it? That's a really great question, actually. I think, I mean, I think the attacking crossing wingbacks thing, we uh, differ slightly on that. I think that works. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think you can, uh, how do I articulate this? Like, I think that, TAA and Andy Robertson have been so effective that you can't just like give up on them. Um, on the weekend, Seamus Coleman, like in his interview afterwards, specifically like called out Andy Robertson and was like, he's such a great player that Carlo Ancelotti made me man mark him. And the last time I've had to do that was when I like man marked Ashley Cole about the pitch. So I feel like that said something to Andy Robertson's strengths, even if maybe it doesn't show up in the numbers. Um, I hadn't even really. <laughs> I feel like Jurgen Klopp is like so untouchable as a as like an objectively one of the best managers to do it that um, that I hadn't even considered that he probably needs to change a system up. Um, and yeah, your your questions kind of stumped me. I have no idea what he should do. I think uh, I don't. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. I I really have no answer. I I I guess he thinks that he doesn't really have the players to switch up a system. Um, and maybe he wants to, I mean, they just have so many injuries that, you know, maybe he, I don't know, he wants to persevere with what has worked. And I think that obviously the Virgil van Dijk signing solved, just immediately solved so many problems. And so I guess they're just sort of back, back to the, without van Dijk, they're back to the days, obviously pre van Dijk. And those days looked a lot less solid. Um, in terms of like the philosophy that Klopp um, puts on teams, will he change it up? Um, I yeah, I, it's a great question. I think I think he kind of has to, but I I really I don't know. I I can't re- I don't really know what he did with Dortmund when in that season where they almost they were like in the relegation zone in January. Um, I guess maybe he changed something there, but maybe he's just one of those those managers that refuses to change his philosophy and just will keep keep going until things like go right again yeah um so you know as a former manager myself uh managing soc uh if i had two phenomenal attacking wingbacks uh and my problem was a hundred percent in the defense i would you know, throw a third center back in there, uh, right, try to get yeah. some defensive cover and let them still play like going forward. But yeah. then the problem is they just do not have enough players to yeah. throw a third center back in. I yeah. don't even know if they have three healthy center no. backs right now. They have Kabak, they have Ben Davis who hasn't played yet, and they have like Reese Williams, the youngsters. Um, Nat Phillips. 
and that Phillips, yeah. No, but I think I think the other issue is literally that uh, they they don't have the midfield they need, right? Because Henderson has had to cover, Fabinho has to cover, like you said, and so it's just all it's like it's like a jigsaw puzzle that has three pieces missing, and you just can't like fit it together. Basically, it just doesn't work. Uh, yeah, Ka- Kabak, I just uh, Kabak um, has picked up a, a yellow card in every match he's played for Liverpool. Which yeah, is, I noticed that. Like only three, but um, not not great, I guess. Yeah, that discipline will come up later again in this talk. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. just keep your ear yeah. open. I mean, uh, um, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to move the conversation on. Oh yeah, just just to leave it on. Um, uh, Liverpool had seventy two percent possession at the end of this game, which is like re- really really high. Um, and they they didn't play very well, but it was very much like Everton was set up to go on the counter and to sort of just be like robust and and it worked. And that's yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Um I will say I've slated a lot of Everton players in my time. Yeah. Um but Three players who I've slated a ton, uh, but who were all very solid this game were Ben Godfrey, Michael Keane, and Mason Holgate. Yeah. All good performances. Also, um, um, by... you, have to, you also have to shout out um, Tom Davis because he was... Yeah, I know. I, I know you're going to bring it up. Yeah. But there we go. Um, cool. Okay, you know, you know where we're going next? Yeah. Um, well, so... Uh, there, this match was peppered with Jordan Pickford good saves, um, and then this match was really finished off uh, when uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold gives away a penalty um, after Richarlison plays through Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Mm-hmm. At least I think it was Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, Allison made a great save, uh, which probably will help him a little bit. Uh, but then... The rebound falls back to DCL. There's an open net. The ball is behind Allison. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold is on the ground, um, doesn't attempt to play the ball, uh, and trips up Calvert-Lewin. Um, I thought it was interesting that there was no conversation that it should have been a red card. Oh, um, yeah. Because, I mean, if just everything else, like if we talk about... Uh, attempt on ball versus just attempt to bring the man down. There's absolutely no play for the ball at all. So, but I mean, whatever it doesn't, I don't think a red card would have changed the outcome of this game at all. Um, and Gilfie Zagurdson sealed up the three points with, uh, a incredibly, incredibly casual penalty. Um, yeah, and uh, Everton got their first win at Anfield in this century. I know. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Cool. Um, shall we move on to the London Stadium? Yeah. Oh, my God. London so I'm still, I'm still safely perched on, on cloud nine after match week, I don't even know, 25? 13 games to go. We are five points clear of Liverpool, three points clear of fifth place Chelsea, sitting in fourth place, West Ham United, 25 matches into the season is frankly astonishing. 
And this time we tipped over Tottenham um, 2-1 at home. And we, yeah, we're the, we're the team holding holding the nerve in, in the race to qualify for, for the top four. Um, we, you know, we saw Chelsea and Liverpool drop points this weekend, obviously. And um, I think we responded with a togetherness that we've been lacking for the past few years and a desire that we've been lacking as well. Um, so Spurs, we sort of pushed them around. For I'll go into the goals, I guess. Um, Spurs for the first one, uh, we sort of pushed them around. Sochek, Sochek, sorry, was really alert when the ball broke loose, and he um, nipped in to pass off to Jared Bowen, which showed like a level of confidence in passing that we haven't seen much of from Sochek actually. Um, and then Bowen uh, whipped in this cross that sort of put the Tottenham defense, which is very shaky at sea. And it just left Antonio free to score um, after Hugo Lloris saved an initial effort from a few yards out. I I seem to like, I think Tottenham concede a lot of those goals where you whip a ball in and they're just statues and the defense is very odd. And then for the yeah. second yeah, well, go, 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 I want to talk. Yeah, I want to say a few things about this first goal. Uh -huh. One, I really need to find the audio of you uh, talking about how like, uh, if we rely on Antonio too much this season, we're going to be relegated. Uh, we cannot rely on one player so much. Like, it's yeah, going to go wrong eventually. Because, yeah. my God, uh -huh. Michael Antonio just keeps scoring goals for you. Yeah, um, sure. But, uh, yeah, what you were saying about suspect defending from Spurs, uh, 100%. Uh, even uh, the commentators were talking, they were talking about Heung-Min's son, uh, how he just oh, yeah, is like terrible. standing on the edge of the 18 yeah. yard box and doesn't even, down. it's just naive. Not at all. They're yeah, just standing right. there. Um, and then uh, Eric Dyer, who, you know, I detest, uh, mm. I, he doesn't either doesn't know where Antonio is or yeah, thinks cool. Larice is coming for that or something, but doesn't put Antonio under any pressure. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a bad combination of a team in West Ham that are excellent at attacking uh, crosses and that kind of stuff, with a team in Tottenham that are terrible at defending them. Um, basically, uh, yeah. I mean, the Antonio thing is is correct. Um, I I'm I'm uh, I've always said I love Antonio, but what we've shown this season is that we actually have not had to rely on him all the time because he's been injured and we picked up a bunch of points anyway. So, you know, in the past, it's like it's literally only been Antonio who's kept us up, and that's unsustainable. So, thankfully, the team is playing better this season. Um, evidenced by, I guess, the second goal, Jesse Lingard again, um, who has been yeah, gorgeous, phenomenal for us. Yeah, and he took charge uh, like he seemed like he he does when he's playing at his best. He, he controlled the ball with it with his knee before he just like sprinted right past Eric Dyer, and um, Pablo Fornals is right next to him in an offside position, but he stepped, he sort of like stood to the side. And um, Lingard scored a really good goal, actually. Like it, was right, yeah. it was right past Larice in the, in the right hand corner. Um, yeah. If you look from the angle behind the goal, like mm. you get a really good appreciate, appreciation yeah, yeah. of how good that goal was. It was, was. really like, good. Was so Lingard. Good, yeah. Yeah, Lingard was so wide. I know, yeah. And um, he hit it so to, hard. To, like, score from that angle. Yeah. yeah. 
And um, yeah, well, it was so it was such a good goal. And then there was the whole VAR thing um, that was eventually overruled because Fornells wasn't interfering with play. Or I don't know. Um, yeah, look, that's I, yeah. That was the. I don't think West Ham. So West West Ham were just clinical. We had four shots, and four uh, four shots um, with four on target and two goals. We were outplayed by Tottenham, especially in the second half. Gareth Bale came on and he was really good. He just like completely tormented our defenders. He set up the goal um, that Tottenham got back in, I think, the 68th minute. And then he smashed the bar um, toward the end. So we were probably uh, really lucky to come away with these three points. But it just like smacks of a team that is well-organized, clinical, and so together. We are, we are The spirit in the team right now is... That's what every football fan wants to see, basically. Um, they're, they're just so together. Um, that's the only way I can describe it. And, you know, we're the kings of London right now. We, we're the best team in London. Um, Chelsea are probably closest to us, but we're by far better than, than Arsenal and Tottenham and obviously the likes of Palace and the sort of smaller teams. Brentford. And that, yeah. <laughs> and that's really gratifying. Um, yeah, I, I think we went over the question of West Ham, like where they end up last time out. What I will say is this. Um, we will lose to Man City. No one beats Man City. Um, they're way, way too good. I'll hinge on how we bounce back against after that match, which is this weekend. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if, we, if we, we have a really hard run, if over the next five games, we say lose to Man City... Win, win the next four, or maybe even win the next three, or, or maybe go unbeaten with a couple of wins in those next five, we could probably, we, we could get fourth spot, I think. Because if we emerge through this with a bunch more points and still in the race, the confidence of this team will be so ridiculously high that they will just refuse not to win in a sort of like semi-Leicester way that season they won the Premier League, where it was like, they just, you know, they weren't always incredible, but they just like didn't lose, basically, and kept winning. And that, that will be us, but it's all going to hinge on, I think, the next month. So I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Certainly uh, a turnaround from last season. Ah, it's incredible. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it is. Yeah. I will say um, another player I always slate, and I will not hesitate to slate him again, uh, Aaron Cresswell. Got beat by a five foot four Lucas Mora uh, on a header to bring it to two one. Yeah. Um, and then he's small. He's small too. Like, Aaron Creswell is not a. He's, they're like the same size. He's a fullback. Like, yeah. They're both like five eight. Yeah. No, Aaron Creswell is smaller than him. He's five seven. So you know. But I thought the most heart and chest mo- or heart and mouth moment was uh, the ninety second minute oh, yeah. where Youngman's son. It kind of hits him uh, mm-hmm. and then is like a chip, but not yeah. intentional at all. Um, and it loops over Fabianski and hits yeah. the inside of the post yeah. before it's clear. It's crazy. Um, it's, it's, yeah, no, that was hot in the mouth moment. But it's one of those games. Did you watch? Yeah. Did you watch this one with your dad? I did not. No, no. I'm, I'm at school, so I can't. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he was going bonkers. Apparently he was, my mom said he was like deliriously happy. I get worried about my dad, right? Because it's like, I go into these games not expecting a win. And it's like Man City this weekend, like he's going to expect to win. And it's just like, it's not, there's no point. 
Like, there's no point in getting angry uh, about West Ham when we are clearly, like, probably going to get smashed by City. So, it's fine. We'll see. I'll That's actually enough. challenge you on that. Because, oh, yeah. so what if Man City are absolutely horrible, like, playing really poorly, think, and they I, still beat you 1-0 just yeah. because West Ham yeah. were more shite? Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, sure, sure. Wouldn't you be pissed then? No, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be pissed, but I'm, like, saying the, the like, levels of frustration that, like... I mean, I don't think he's going to listen to this. Sorry if you are, Dad. The levels of frustration that my dad can get at, or, like, let's... This is so personal. Just West Ham fans in general can, can have at the team is, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like we... You have to... <laughs> You have to stay humble. Like, we're, we're, we're West Ham. Like, chill. Like, you know. It, yeah. It's like, we're, we are not in a position right now as a club to to be, like, super pissed off losing to Man City. Like, it's just, like, that's just not how it, like, works. So, anyway, we've, yeah. we've I've done enough West Ham. Um, yep. Do you want to move yeah. on to Villa Leicester? Let's do it. Um, you're going to have to hear more of my voice because I'm going to take this one. So, sorry, listeners. Um, it's <laughs> another 2-1 victory. Um, this time for Leicester City away at Aston Villa. Um, and they now have a six-point advantage, Leicester, over Chelsea in fifth place. Um, and um, they're in control of their own fate, much more than they were last season. I think in the mid-season predictions, I was like, I think Leicester will fall off again. And that's that's looking like a poor prediction because they don't that they look like the real deal. Um, and now they've they've only had one defeat in 16 games in all competitions, which is pretty astonishing. Um, I think Timothy Castagna and Ricardo Pereira both being fit again is a pretty big deal. They both featured on the right flank, um, probably in anticipation of countering Jack Grealish. And we know how that turned out. Jack Grealish didn't play. Um, and there's that whole fantasy football thing that we could get into after. <laughs> and, but Leicester were really solid. and And then they were obviously exhilarating on the break, as is their style. So for the goals, um, James Madison received Harvey Barnes's square pass um, and then did a James Madison where he just shot from 20 yards, low enough to post. Um, yeah, pass it in. Yeah, passed it in like, after, after they had played their way out of defense. And then four minutes later, um, Leicester doubled their advantage. Ball fell to Vardy, who shot from like 20 yards out. Martinez parried, but Barnes um, shot the rebound like really high into the net for his 13th goal of the season, Harvey Barnes. It's very impressive. And then um, three minutes within three minutes um, after the restart in the second half, Bertrand Traore scored um, from six, six yards out um, from a Matt target cross. Then something very unpleasant happened. Casper uh, Schmeichel kneeled on Bertrand Traore for no reason. I very much that made yeah. me extremely uncomfortable. I did not like that at all. And there's been no sanctions, and there should be. That was very bizarre. Um, I, I was very that. confused by that. Yeah, that was that was like that was not that was real. That was bad. That was really bad for Casper Schmeichel. But yeah, um, it was an impressive win, I think, for Leicester, seeing as they played midweek. Um, who and and Leicester seemed to sort of stamp out these random like losses that were occurring before the new year. Um, or maybe just a little bit after the new year too. And I think they'll finish really strong. And they do, yeah, they deserve to be right up there. I have a question for you. Um, but before that, do you want to say anything else about what happened in the match? Or? Yeah, um, I'm looking at HITC 
um, who, you know, they're not the best for news, but they're very entertaining. Yeah, they um, are. They apparently have no idea what this is about either. Hmm. Like, they can't find any statements or, like, history or beef. It could be. It's very strange. If people are just talking about like how strange it was and how like no one no one has any reasoning, yeah, getting annoyed for seemingly no reason, yeah, um, yeah, but he, yeah, he's he came off as a prick. I mean, he's the the son of a very wealthy man. I don't think he uh he's not street. He's not gang. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It just seemed like a dickhead move. Yeah, it was, it was very out of character for Casper Schmeichel, I think, who's like generally perceived as a pretty like nice guy. Anyway, who knows? Okay, my question for you. Um, so Gareth Southgate, there's like a joke going on now that he keeps like showing up for Leicester matches and seeing uh, Barnes and Madison play well because that's what they do. So I'm saying if you could only take one of those two players, if you were Gareth Southgate, Barnes or Madison, who would you put in England's Euro 2020 squad? Well, so, I mean, this goes to a a bigger conversation we need to have where England is, like, super saturated. uh, Yes, we can do it during the the international break. Yeah, yeah, in the attacking midfield. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would bring both. Okay. um, the odds for attacking uh the attacking midfielders which i think includes wingers or i, I don't they're weird at how they do this you, you know like when they are doing odds they like clump together players mm-hmm. who definitely don't even play the same position um but jack Grealish has 1 to 9 odds phil foden 1 to 9 mason mount 1 we to 7 to jack Grealish. yeah Bukayo Saka four to seven, and then you have James Madison at eight of eleven. Oh, but they don't even have Harvey Barnes listed. I can't even make a bet on Harvey Barnes coming. Um, But I would bring James Madison. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I get that. I think I would um, increasingly bring Barnes because he can play more of the left wing. Um, So you know. I guess, oh, bloody hell, because Jack Grealish will play out there. Yeah, it's just hard. I mean, well, we just have this, like, really, uh, we, are, we are really going into this golden age of talent, um, which is exciting. Uh, yeah, well, at so... At least attacking-wise. Yeah, I mean, so would you rather have Harvey Barnes over any of these players? Raheem Sterling, Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, Mason Greenwood, or Callum Hudson-Odoi? Um, I'd have him over Greenwood, but they don't play in the same position. It would, uh, yeah, I can only go off what the betting website is listing. Well, I mean, me. right? I think you'd have him over Greenwood and Hudson Odoi. Um, he's he's a hundred percent better than Mason Greenwood. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. Like, I mean, he's they've he's played way more football. He's more savvy. He's he's playing way better than both of them this season. Um, so you definitely take, but the others absolutely not. They're they're all they're all better than him. So it's just. Uh, Do, would you take Harvey Barnes over Bukayo Saka? Bukayo. Uh, um, it's just hard because they they're not the same player. Probably, 
Oh, that sounds so harsh, though. I don't know. Bukayo yeah, but is so, like really good. But they're, they're not, yeah, they're different players. But yeah, that's like not. You just, you only have so many players you can put on the football I know. field. Wait, so. you're right. This is a comp- we got to do. There's an international break coming up. We will do this during the international break because yeah. it's a great. There comp- you go. Because we have so many players. Yeah, um, we'll talk about it then. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I, that, that's your answer. That's um, and that's yeah. That's Leicester Villa. It was a it was a pretty solid game. Leicester exciting. Yeah. Um, talking about you know solid, but yeah. not for Newcastle. Mm. Uh, well, I guess like uh, solid in your confidence that we'll lose. Yeah. Uh, Newcastle United, Manchester United, another United derby. Um, this is a match where before uh, uh, the pundits were typically saying. Like, ah, you know, Newcastle fans, they like they expect to beat Manchester United like Manchester United's a really good squad. But this is what happens when you you play sides that you should beat and you get thrashed by them. Then all of a sudden you go up against teams that you realistically can't beat uh, Mm -hmm. like any of the top six. And all of a sudden you're relying on beating them to accumulate points to be safe at the end of the season. so, uh, but this should have been a winnable match. Um, th- before this, Manchester United had drawn West Brom, who is a absolutely horrendous side. Um, and I actually thought West Brom deserved to get more than just a point from their Manchester United game. Um, but this match started out uh, in a way that was not controversial at the time, but the controversy has increased quite a bit um, with some former refs and some pundits coming out uh, with a fourth-minute ins- incident where Harry Maguire, you can see him turn, locate Jamal Lascelles, and elbow him in the head. Um, this was not reviewed uh, or anything. Uh, the commentators live didn't even talk about it uh very strange i at first thought it was like newcastle fans being newcastle fans and saying that there's a conspiracy against them um but i actually found this out through liverpool fans who uh, are vying for manchester united to drop more points yeah um but uh, not much else happened in the first 30 minutes. It was a uh, pretty even match. Newcastle were playing pretty well. Uh, Manchester United were playing fine. Uh, and then, you know, more defensive calamities for Newcastle uh, with Marcus Rashford nutmegging Emil Kraft and then Carl Darlow being beaten at the front post. Um, uh, Steve Bruce said in his post-match in the way only Steve Bruce can uh, that essentially Carl Darlow will be dropped for the next match. Um, oh, wow, really? Yeah, he always does that. Where he, He'll go like, oh, like Carl Darlow's been great for us this season, but, you know, like we really have to ask questions and we're really going to have to consider it. Um, that means like 100% he's being dropped. Damn. Um, Poor Carl Darlow. And a lot of people are faulting Emil Kraft, which, yeah, sure, Emil Kraft is not a great right back. Um, but yeah. more, why is Emil Kraft asked to single cover Marcus Rashford? Uh, yeah. 
Alan St. Maximin, when he went down against Manchester United, they would always double or triple team because they know Alan St. Maximin is a good winger. So they don't leave their uh, right back on an island with him. Uh, they'll put two players on him. So if he beats the first player, there's a second player he has to deal with. Um, and then Marcus Rashford is Marcus Rashford. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's better than every single one of our defenders. Why not at least give Emil Kraft some some backup? But anyways, uh, their lead did not last for long. There was a poor Harry Maguire clearance, and uh, that man, Alan St. Maximin, uh, hits sort of a half volley, weird kind of shot. Um, it was straight at David De Gea, um, and there's some questions, but it's so close, and it's on the volley, and yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the story of the first hour. It was a really close match. Um, like neither side deserved to have more than a point from that. Uh, they're both playing well. Um, and then there's more defensive calamities from Newcastle United. Um, Dan James, uh, uncovered in the box, just taps it in. Um, and this is another example. Jamal Lewis uh, gets slated here, but why there's two players in the box completely uncovered, Bruno Fernandes and Dan James. Um, so Jamal Lewis goes to cover uh, Fernandes because, of course, he's a better player than Dan James ever will be. But yeah. uh, So Jamal Lewis gets slated, but he's single covering two players. So, um, And then about 15 minutes later, uh, there was a foul in quotation marks on Marcus Rashford, which is 100% a dive. I'm still confident. Um, it's There's like contact, and then Rashford takes two steps and then does that kicking thing with his feet that yeah. Mo Salah does all the time Yeah. Um, and gets the penalty and somehow VAR upheld it. Um, but whatever. The I don't care that that was a penalty. But it does suck that that's called a penalty. Uh, and oh, yeah, the sure. Harry Maguire incident earlier on was not even reviewed. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, but even worse. So, like, no Newcastle fan expected anything. Uh, even though for the first hour we were more than good enough to take something from Manchester United. Um, and we are playing well with this new high press um, that our assistant coaches implementing but we just don't have the stamina to keep it up for more than 60 minutes yeah um but more controversial than the loss and the dropping of more points uh was after the whistle steve bruce yucking it up with ole gunnar solskjaer Mm -hmm. uh like literally hamming it up so much um and uh you know it, it like i get it they're friends but if you, your friend just like wholeheartedly whooped your ass um, and you're slipping farther and farther down towards relegation, don't you think you'd be like, oh, mate, like, yeah, it's nice let's to see you, but privately. like, let's catch up. Yeah. yeah, let's talk privately. Like, like he has to know cameras are on him and yeah. the optics are just like him looking ecstatic that he just lost. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know how much this will... Uh, uh, I don't know how much you'll know about this, but uh, very reminiscent of Steve McLaren in fifteen sixteen, um, 
when we got thrashed 4-1 by Chelsea. Um, yeah. And Steve McLaren went on the cameras um, and was like laughing about it. Um, and like one. that was like the nail in the coffin for Steve McLaren. So um, I do have one final thing to say about this match. Uh, Newcastle have seven points from the last 42 possible. Two wins and one draw in 14 matches. They now need five wins in the final 15, so 15 points from the next 45 possible, to hit the magic 40-point mark. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, no, I do not think we can do. Oh, no. We can stay up, but we're not going to hit 40 points. Okay. And we're 100% not going to get five more wins in the rest of the season. Interesting. Yeah. It's not... It's like not as doom and gloom as it has been. We're playing better, but like we're still I mean, not I'm picking up behind, points. Behind uh, Brighton somehow, and uh, I, I don't know how that's oh still my possible. God, Southampton, you are only five points behind Southampton. Oh my god! Yeah, crazy. I wonder. So Southampton were top of the table on so November eighth. You, I wonder if that's a record of like honestly. I wonder if they, when you're at top of the table to get relegated I, I they probably won't but i wonder if they, they'll fire hard and it's all that'd be a it's an insane like, drop off yeah i don't want them to because i really i mean hard is like i like having managers like that in the prem but it's not good it's not good as yeah, soon as they, i hope they sack him just so we can get him as soon as anyone gets a whiff of like the players not playing for him he's gone for sure anyway um We've been let's let's keep going. I think we're gonna do one more. Um Newcastle, yeah, we're, all, we're, all, um, we're all thinking about you. We've got you in our thoughts, so hopefully you <laughs> stay up. Um let's just quickly do Palace Brighton before we move on. Um I literally wanted to talk about this game just for that one goal, which I'll get to in a second. Um so yeah, I think there's only really one way to frame Palace's two one victory over Brighton. Um and it's that they 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 had two shots to Brighton's twenty five. Um in like before Benteke's third shot went in for the 96 minute winner. Um, they had a single touch in Brighton's penalty area the whole match and Brighton had 75% of the possession and like squandered so many chances. It was basically joyless apart from one of like, oh my God, this Jean-Philippe Mateta's debut, not debut, maiden goal in the Premier League um, was sublime. Um, he he had no space for like an orthodox shot basically because Ben White was tight to his left, and um, and so what he did was that he received the ball and then f- first time flicked it behind. How do I even describe this, Blake? Flicked it behind it's the... him and through the goalie's legs. That's a terrible way of describing it. Um, it is reminiscent of Mario Balotelli's attempted goal that I think it was uh, Mancini immediately subbed him off afterwards because he missed it. Um, uh, no, it's not, not quite the same, but nearly. That's what I thought of. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, that's... The, I would describe it as... Uh, the only skillful move I attempt to do like every single time I play soccer. Yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a great little skill. I love it. Yeah. 
it was beautiful um yeah uh this was the most against the run of form victory i've watched in a long time um but i will say i say it like every single podcast if you don't put away your chances you're gonna get punished for it um and brighton just you know yeah, did not convert true. all but one of their chances um, yeah yeah i mean veltman equalized but then benteke guided of Oli past Sanchez in like the 96th minute. Um, it was actually, it was, it was a pretty nice goal. I, it was kind of like a slow shot, um, but it, I mean, he took it really well. And, and I think, I think uh, Graham Potter framed it at the end of the match. Like that's the magic of football or something. Um, but you know, they're sort of after a, a bit of a resurgence, they're now back in trouble because they just don't have many points, Brighton. Um, yeah. So that's all I have to say. I think I'll skip out the question that I wrote for you. It wasn't that interesting anyway. Yeah. Um, other than that, around the league, uh, Southampton held Chelsea to a draw. Um, Burnley-West Brom was a very entertaining nil-nil. Um, that's pretty much it. Not much yeah. important happened. Leeds thrashed Southampton. They did. Uh, yesterday. Uh, just... Oh, unfair uh yeah and with that being said do you want to get into our predictions maybe yes, i can please get back my uh my lead okay starting off with uh your boys come on the irons versus manchester city Ooh. Uh, you know uh, okay so traditionally i go for a draw so i'll go for a high scoring draw i'll go for a 3-3 i'm going to go Man City will be the blip on your amazing season. Yeah. Uh, 2-1 Man City. I take it back. I'm going 1-1. Sorry, 3-3 is bad because we both have good defenses. So 1-1. Um, West Brom. Yeah, Brighton. I was going to say, they've yeah, conceded. Like, <laughs> Man City have conceded two, three goals in 17 matches or something ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. West Brom, Brighton. Um, oh, you know, oh, God. Sorry, I always do this. Every I'll go nil nil. <laughs> I think I think I'll go one nil Brighton. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Cool. Uh, Leeds Villa. This should be high scoring, but um, I'll go for a three two Leeds win. You know, I'll go one one. I don't predict many draws, but nice. they gotta come somewhere. They do. Uh, Newcastle Wolves. I don't Wolves are so strange. I don't really know how to predict them. I don't know what their away record is. Uh well, I hate I hate saying Newcastle are gonna drop points. I have this feeling that you might do something. I'll go one one. Maybe you'll pick up a point. Yeah, I'm not against a draw. Yeah, um, yeah. but I, I think I'm gonna have to go for like a one nil win for Wolves. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it's just really hard to bet for Newcastle right now. Yeah. Um, Crystal Palace and Fulham. I just don't think Palace are very good. I'll go two one Fulham. Um, to make it. Ouch! That would be yeah. a nightmare situation. For it Newcastle. would be. Yeah, uh, be. just because I kind of. 
have to. Uh, 1-0 Crystal Palace. Uh, yep. Come on, boys. Save our season. Uh, <laughs> Leicester Arsenal. Uh, I just... I, it's in my head now. I had this incredible weekend, and now I'm like overthinking everything. Leicester are very good, um, but sometimes they fall short against team like these weird teams. I'll go for a draw. I'll go for for Leicester sort of maybe being a bit complacent. I'll go two two. I think Arsenal could do something. Big, big money. Leicester three nil thrashing of Arsenal. Nice, nice. All right. The two most boring clubs in the yes. Premier League: Spurs versus Burnley. Um, Spurs win one 0 Gareth Bale so I'll go one one Ashley Barnes equalizer in like the eighty fifth minute. Uh, Chelsea Manchester United. Tuchel is the I would have backed Man United because they beat big teams, but Tuchel is now the like X factor, and I'm not sure anymore. Which is unhelpful. I've gone for so many draws already. Uh, you know what? Uh, one one. I think it'll be a bad move. Yeah. I was just gonna go for the opposite of whatever you said, but you picking a draw. Uh, Chelsea did not do very well against Southampton. Manchester United creamed Newcastle. I will go Manchester United one nil. Uh, Sheffield United Liverpool. I think this will be 2 0. I think Liverpool basically have to win this one and they will. Uh, I'll go 3 0 Liverpool. I just can't see Sheffield United doing it. Um, Everton, Southampton. I'll go narrow 2 1 victory for Everton, but I think Southampton could get something out of this. Yeah. I, Everton are shaky, but Southampton are bad. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll go draw a 1 1. Um, Okay, and with that being said, hopefully I I build some uh, I build some uh, you know some points back. Are you ready for your questions? I sure am. I went interesting this week. Oh, okay. Um, That's it's kind of I've kind of been doing this more often recently, but uh, they they're not they're like certainly not the total failures that I was asking you about earlier in the season. Um, my first wonder kid, or my wonder kid for the week, um, mm-hmm. he, uh, you know, has spent his entire career in Spain. Um, he was around some lower league clubs before really breaking onto the scene at Valencia, where he was okay, uh, before going to Malaga uh, and ripping La Liga to shreds. Before in 2013, a big money move. Brought him to this club. Can you tell me where one Isco is? Isco? Yep. Like, well, you heard well, that correctly. Well, the well, Isco. Okay. Yep. Okay. Very easy. And yeah, you okay. will say, you'll say, what? Why am I asking about him? He's made, you know, 222 appearances for Los Blancos. Yeah. Yes, that is true. But since he moved to Real Madrid at age 20, uh-huh. uh, wow, he 20. immediately was playing over 30 matches per season, every single season consistently, 2013 mm-hmm. to 2018. Since 2018, he has played less, and when he's been playing, he has been contributing less. 
Before 2018, transfer market had him valued at 100 million euros. He is now, after fallouts, injuries, and publicly asking to leave, valued at under 20 million euros. Oh my god, wow. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah, which is just crazy to me because when I started watching football, he was like touted to be the next big thing. He was the guy, yeah. So my question for you is, yes, he had some like five great years for Real Madrid um, while Real Madrid were like arguably the best club in the world. Uh-huh. Um, I guess winning three Champions Leagues or four Champions Leagues considers you, uh, you know, one of the best in the world. Um, but despite that, having these two years of not great while he's supposedly supposed to be in the prime of his career, mm-hmm. does he live up to the, the billing that he had or did he flash too early and now it's unsustainable? Well, I think it's rumored he's going to Sevilla. I hope he goes to Sevilla. He needs to get the. I mean, I hate Real Madrid is so annoying. Like, if I was a footballer, I just would never. I would not move to Real Madrid. Like, it's such a toxic place. Um, you know, I think so. He hasn't done anything at Madrid for a good two seasons, right? So since he was twenty six, or so, which is very young for a player to to have peaked. Um. I think he's weirdly he's young enough that he can have a second act and then these last couple of years at Real Madrid will be a blip on probably what is other otherwise an extremely like a very 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 good career um because he's he was I think pretty integral to all their Champions League wins right the last the last time he did something for the club contributed solidly was in the 2018 um I mean, in the 2017-18 season when they lost one the Champions League. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't think he's necessarily lived up to the hype. But because, yeah, he won the Golden Boy Award. But he still, like, so far has had a very good career. And hopefully he'll leave and have a second act somewhere. He could still play for, like, easy another five years. So, yeah. Hopefully there's more to come yeah. from this, though. At one point... I like, just wanted to... Yeah. I wanted to ask you uh, about a different kind of player. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I get the, no, that's a, there's plenty, yeah, there's like loads of different players out there that can be in this category of wonder kid, right? Um, Yeah, no, Isco, I don't know. At one point it was like he was gonna, there was rumors he was gonna join Barcelona. (laughs) So uh, that would have been kind of cool, but never happened. Now, even despite being valued at less than 20 million, I don't think Barcelona could afford him. Yeah, no, that is a club in some crisis right there. Okay, so let me ask you a few more questions. All right. Uh, this one also heavily influenced by my, my research on transfer market. Um, will Phil Foden at any time in his career be transferred for more than 70 million pounds. Um, um, and I will tell you right now, Transfermarkt have him worth 47 million Great British pounds. Um, if he ever leaves City, which I do not think he will, 
Uh, I think he'll be a one club player. He will definitely go for more than 70 million because there's no way they sell him for less than than that. Unless, I don't know, he doesn't play for three years for some <laughs> injury. I don't know. I mean, you know, you, you don't I, wish that I, on I any want an player. Like, yes or no? No, because I, I, my answer is no, because he's going to stay at City. Unless there's like a Mika, is... Mika Richards uh, situation, which hopefully there isn't, where it's like, you know, he just the injuries can't or something like that. But that's not going to happen. So I agree. I don't think he'll ever move from Man City. Yeah. Um, okay. So now to, on to some more stat questions. Uh, what team in the Premier League has had the most penalties awarded to them? Team in the Premier League? Man U? No. Manchester United are in second place with seven penalties awarded to them. Leicester City. Leicester. Wow. Have eight penalties awarded. Oh my God. I was amazed when I saw that. That is is quite amazing. Jamie Vardy, has he scored all eight of them? I have no No, I think Harvey Barnes has at least one penalty. Right. Um, Okay. What team in the Premier League has scored the most own goals? Oh, that's a good one. I'll go Southampton, just because why not? No, also no. Leicester City. No, really? Le- yeah, Leicester City are the only team in the Premier League to score three own goals this season. There that's are strange. like eight teams that have scored two, uh, and then a whole bunch that have scored one. Huh. Well. Um, and then my final question for you. Um, which, unfortunately, we already kind of talked about. But uh, what team crosses the ball the most times per game? What team crosses the ball the most times per game? I'll just go Liverpool. Yeah, easily Liverpool. Easy Liverpool. They have a clear lead over Aston Villa in second place. Um, surprisingly, Tottenham are in last place. Fewest attempted crosses per game. Oh, wow. Yeah, well... Uh, they just play such strange football, Tottenham. So it doesn't surprise me. I guess that makes sense because Harry Kane drops deep and like sprays the balls himself, so they don't really play out on the wings. Cool, good questions yeah, this week. That's Blake. all my questions. Oh, that was they're, they're, those are really good. Yeah, um, thank you. We'll end the pod with this uh, quick thing that I want. I forgot that I wanted to mention. Um, last week, um, did you see before their match with Slavia Prague, Kasper Schmeichel? Uh, the like a journalist for like in the Slavia Prague team claimed that he was so overweight that he wears a corset secretly under his uniform. Um, and, yes. Yeah. And what the what the hell? What what kind of a weird weird claim is that? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's so bizarre. My f- <laughs> my favorite bit is that Slavia Prague the club publicly apologized yeah. for something said on i guess it is their like the, yeah, it's like the, the official, club runs yeah. the affiliated channel yeah. but essentially what like a pundit said about them i know it's um, hilarious so weird anyway yeah cool yeah. well that was a that was a good episode enjoy yeah that. yeah thank you thank you and yeah hopefully my predictions uh, all come true I hope so too. And as always, follow us at the well, follow us on Twitter, Peak Too Early Podcast, which is at too, Peaked 
to the number two early pod. Follow Blake on Twitter, um, which is at bmunch. Follow me at Oscar, O-H-S-C-U-H. Email us at um, peak2earlypod at gmail.com. Rate and review. We'd like some more of those. That'd be nice. And as always, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Blake. I'm standing.